Welcome to Elevating Employee Experience, where we interview the most progressive and relevant EX thought leaders and distill their best content to its essence. Chester Elton is an award-winning author, executive coach, and keynote speaker. He has appeared on NBC's Today Show, CBS 60 Minutes, and is often quoted in Fast Company, Newsweek, and The Wall Street Journal. In 2020, in fact, Global Guru's research organization ranked Chester number four among the world's top leadership experts and number two among the world's top organizational culture experts. Fill in the, the gaps there. What else do we need to know about you and how did you find yourself in this space? Yeah, what, what else would you like to know? I was born and raised in Canada, so de facto I am a hockey fan. Uh, <laughs> love uh, Canadian back bacon and everything Canadian. Um, I've lived in the States now for, for a long time and got into culture and writing with my good friend, Adrian Gostick, about 20 years ago. I, I grew up in sales. And at the time uh, that we started to think about writing, I was uh, selling recognition programs, you know, for years of service or sales or whatever it might be. And uh, I remember calling our CEO, uh, Kent Murdoch at the time. And I said, you know, Kent, if we were the thought leaders in employee recognition, which, you know, connect the dots to engagement, right? Uh, my job would be so much easier because people would call us because we're the we're the we're the the authorities you know we're the thought leaders, and I said thought leaders write books and no one has written the definitive book on employee recognition. Mm. And he goes, "Ooh, I like that idea. Well, go ahead, write the book." <laughs> I, said, I think you misheard what I said. I said that you should write the book and I should benefit from said book, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you what's really interesting. He said. Um, you know what? You're a smart guy. Figure it out. Isn't that wonderful? Hmm. And so, so from that point on, Josh, I, I started to think about, you know, titles and chapters and content. A year later, he calls me back and says, hey, I really like this idea about the book, and I think you should write it. I've hired a writer. His name is Adrian Gostick. He's going to be our head of communications. Introduce yourself and write the book. So not only did he challenge me, he gave me the tools to mm. accomplish the the challenge. And so Adrian, while born in England, grew up in Canada. So we had that hockey thing going. Uh -huh. And um, we, a, a year after that, we dropped a book on our CEO's desk called Managing with Carrots. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and now we've written 12 books, our latest being Leading with Gratitude. And uh, it's been a wonderful journey. I mean, we've, our books are in 30 languages, you know, sold out 1.6 million copies. It's, it's been a wonderful ride. My gosh. Well, what an amazing testament too to this concept of engagement um, and culture that it's not, you know, <laughs> doing it yourself or telling people what to do. It, it, it almost felt like you were empowered to see things differently and, and, and know that you can make it happen. Yeah. And who would have thought 12 books later, you know, and, and countless TV appearances and, and all of the work that you've done uh, across many companies to help them design their, their culture initiatives. It, it's, it is inspiring to me to just hear how that started, how you were empowered. So, so talk to us a little bit about that. What do you do when you are working with an organization or anyone who's interested in employee engagement? How do you begin to have those conversations about, well, let's take a look at the culture and, and let's start to flush out what's the best path forward. I'm, I'm curious to hear a little bit about that. Well, great question. And you know, Josh, it's interesting. We don't work with dysfunctional cultures. 
and the, the and the reason for that is very simple. When you have a dysfunctional culture, you don't care about culture, <laughs> so you're not calling anybody to come in and help you with it. Our work is really taking good cultures and making them better, and making great uh -huh. cultures sustainable. You know, we deal with people where culture is really important to them, and they see it as a key differentiator, which I agree with. I think, you know, the barrier to entry to to, to many industries and is so low. You know, with with everything digital and tech being so advanced that the, the only differentiators I think that are left are leadership and culture. You can never have too many good leaders. And the reason culture is such a great differentiator is because it's hard to replicate. You know, mm -hmm. you can replicate products and services. You know, one of my favorite examples is the Hard Rock Cafe. Phenomenally successful, right? A global brand at this point. Right. At a restaurant where the food is just okay, by the way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you've been to a Hard Rock, right? I mean, it's good. Absolutely. It, it, it's not, you know, it's not uh, a Michelin star kind of experience. And so you had other restaurants try to replicate that, like the Harley Davidson Cafe and the Rainforest Cafe. And so, and they failed miserably because the culture didn't support it. Mm. It was just a cute idea, you know. So as you take a look at those kinds of examples, and so it's really been fun for us to, to partner with brands like the Hard Rock Cafe, like American Express and WD-40 and, and on and on to see people that really value culture. And what that means is they value their people. You know, culture is your people. And so they take a deep dive on what, is, what are the key motivators of our people? Are we hiring for the right cultural fit? Are we creating a pathway forward for them to grow and develop, uh, not just as employees, uh, also as people, right? And so that's right. where it gets really exciting because that human element is what is really engaging uh, for yeah, me. and and so crucial. Um, I just love the, the the mentality, right? There there are organizations that have come and gone, and various elements of of success for these businesses. But it it tends to be the case that these high performing companies that have that strong culture come from a mindset of we take care of our employees, our people first, and they in turn will take care of our customers. You know, this, this whole customer experience movement where we are so fanatically obsessed with it is important, but if it's not coupled with employee experience, then it almost feels like we're missing an element of the customer experience. You know, I, I was just reading uh, JW Marriott's book. He, he always talked about, you know, take care of your associates and they will take care of your, of your customers. And that, that sounds like your experience as well, those who care to build that culture. Um, and it, it seems like it's, it's working well for you. Well, sure. You know, uh, I can give you a real-time example, you know, a COVID-19 example of, uh, oddly enough, another restaurant, but Texas Roadhouse restaurants. You know, uh, Kent Taylor, the founder, his philosophy has always been, now, if you work at Texas Roadhouse, you're a roadie, which I think is mm. very clever. <laughs> so he says, you take care of your roadies, you take care of your customers, you take care of your community. And it's in that order. So as soon as COVID hit and they had to close all their restaurants, uh, the, the first thing he did was he said, look, nobody's going to get laid off. Nobody. Now, you got to understand, they have 600 restaurants. They have 70,000 employees. Wow. And in the first you know, three weeks of COVID, over 3 million jobs were lost in the restaurant sector alone. Not one of them worked for Texas Roadhouse. Wow. He immediately gave up his salary, which is like 1.3 million, donated some more money to the employee relief fund and bought up every set of gloves and masks and goggles and thermometers he could find anywhere 
and took his business, which by the way, was only about six or 7% curbside takeaway, converted it to 100% takeaway. And within four weeks was profitable. Wow. I mean, and that is culture because he, his people understood that first and foremost, he was going to take care of them financially. Secondly, he was going to make them safe at work. And if they're, if they're safe at work, the customers are going to be, feel safe, right? Then he started to say, hey, how are we going to do this? Give me your ideas. Empowered them, right? What are your ideas? He'd say, look, when, when things get hard, I call my crazies, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> he says, you know, we've got the guys that are the rule followers. And in good times, that are, that's fine. But those are my puppies on the porch. He said, my crazies are my big dogs. So I, 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 I partner my big dogs with my puppies on the porch and we get some velocity and we start to run. I mean, ideas that they'd never entertained before, like on the weekend, having a farmer's market with, where they would sell like a butcher would, uh, you know, uh, curb to grill raw steaks. Wow. You know, and, How and, cool and is that? It, yeah. And turned it into a phenomenal profit center because a lot of grocery stores for a while, you know, steaks and whatnot were, were in short supply. So he sold it below market value, still making a profit, keeping his meat cutters working and engaged, providing an incredible service to his community, right? And, uh, and just started to roll. In fact, it really interesting, in April, they had what they called April love. They actually paid bonuses to people that were working. And wow. by the end of April, they were hiring. They were short-staffed. My gosh. I mean, I mean this is... Uh, my, I, I am just floored hearing this, especially in the restaurant industry, because that is not the place you want to be when it comes to COVID-19. But wow, what a, what a hard pivot that is into unknown territory. Um, but being able to execute on that because the people, it, it sounds have rallied behind the vision, um, really understand why they are there and what they're doing. And let's be honest, those roles are to die for, like... Like we need those to survive COVID nineteen, uh, so so this is this is great. So I, I would love to flesh this out a little bit more, right? Because a lot of organizations are hurting. A lot of employees are kind of stuck in this place where it's like, you know, I I know that you know there's a talent war happening, and I used to be able to pick any job that I wanted, but now I'm just grateful to even have a job. And it feels a little bit like we've reset in most organizations back to this mentality of like, just be grateful that you have a job. Um, employee engagement, I've heard this is, you know, not a priority um, because we've got to protect the bottom line. And I feel like that philosophy is so backwards from what it needs to be, especially in a time of crisis and uncertainty. I'd love to hear you weigh in um, and, and share some of your thoughts on that. Well, sure. You know, this, this war for talent is always going to be there. There's, there's always going to be a shortage of good people, right? What, what I love about the Texas Roadhouse case study is that this didn't happen overnight. It's not like a crisis hit and they said, okay, everybody, we're going to look out for each other. We're going to look out for our customers. You know, they've been doing that for 20 years. So when the crisis hit, there was no ambiguity. There was no hesitation. And that's what leaders need to understand is that your culture is an everyday thing. You know, it starts today and it continues tomorrow and the day after that and the week after that and the month after that. So when Ken Taylor stepped up and said, hey, I need your help. Everybody said, what do you need? They didn't say, well, how much more are you going to pay me? Hmm. You know, you'll, you'll see in dysfunctional cultures and another uh, real time case study. Look at Major League Baseball. I mean, Major League Baseball's culture when it comes from the players relationship with the owners has been horrific for 60 years. 
right? So, so COVID hits and they say, okay, well, we've got to modify things. We've got to have a different schedule. And immediately the players are, well, what's in it for us? How much are we going to get paid? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? And, and the owners are saying, well, we've got this, we've got that. And it takes them weeks and months to figure out what they're going to do. And then by the time they arrive on what they're going to do, nobody's happy. Right? Right. Yeah. The players didn't get enough, as much money. They didn't get as many games. The owners didn't get as much as many concessions as they wanted. The fans are still aren't allowed in the stadiums. I mean, it's just a mess. And, and, and this is coming, by the way, from a baseball fan, right? I actually <laughs> like baseball. You, you study baseball culture, and it's just a, it, it's a study in dysfunction. I mean, they literally, they hate each other, mm. right? So you, you flip that around, and in our book, Leading with Gratitude, by the way, available on Amazon and fine bookstores everywhere, um, is that we, we talked to Alan Mulally. Now, Alan Mulally is legendary in that he's the guy that saved the Ford Motor Company in the last recession. So he comes in from Boeing and sees a completely dysfunctional culture. The, the, the UAW hates Ford. Ford hates the UAW. Their employee engagement was like at 20%, which, by the way, the, the national average isn't great. Although no, it's, it's like 30 or something, 30%. Yeah, yeah it's 30, 33%, 30 to 33%. So they were 10 to 13 basis points lower than this horrible average. <laughs> and he comes in and you know what his first thing was? He says, you know what? It's all about our people. We got to love them up. And these, these auto executives are like, what? I don't, think you, I don't think you get automotive. We don't love each other up. You know, it's eat what you kill. It's sharp elbows. It's the kill or be killed. And he goes, yeah, we got to nice. change. And he did. Now, here's what's wow. phenomenal. He leaves 10 years later. Employee engagement on the forward employee side, as well as the union side, was 91%. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's, it's almost like you can't, you know, you, you, if you wrote it in a novel, which, by the way, there is a novel written about the comeback. I re highly recommend it. It's called American Icon, How Alan Mulally Saved the Ford Motor Company. And it reads like a spy novel. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Everything he did was focused on employees. Everything. Take care of your employees. That's, wow. that's your first stop. And, 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 and the, the results, WD-40, Gary Ridge, one of my favorite CEOs of all time. I know you've got a can somewhere. Everybody's got oh, a can. Absolutely. He talks about his culture as a tribe. He says, you know, associates, coworkers, teammates, it just doesn't go far enough. He says, in a tribe, we protect each other. We celebrate with each other. You know, we feed each other. And, uh, you know, when he took over, you know, again, right before the last recession, they were a $250 million company. 12 years later, they're a $2.8 billion company. So, you know, people say, well, does it work? Is it worth it? I say, well, Texas Roadhouse, right? Ford Motor Company, WD-40, American Express. You know, there are companies that do it really well, and they are the creme de la creme. Yeah, ah, so great. You just let that settle in and just really think about the concept of, gosh, I, I hate the fact that working on the culture sounds so fluffy or kumbaya sometimes for these CEOs that they, they hardly give it a second glance. But man, when you make that the focal point of your business, and it's hard, and that change is not going to be easy at all. But when you decide to do it, man, you can't tell me that that doesn't affect the bottom line. You can't tell me that that doesn't um, 
boost performance and productivity better than anything else is, is really taking care of your people. And, and, and what does that look like for you now that the workforce is now mostly remote, almost all remote? Um, you know, we, we've moved into this digital workforce where employee experience and, and culture is much more than just going to the office and making sure the lights are bright or making sure you have a collaborative space. It's, you know, a large amount of that is out of your control now where you are in your home, you're not quite sure w which hours your employees are working or what their circumstances are given the, the current um, pandemic. Uh, how do we help companies as they're starting to see the vision here <laughs> to, to, to make a change in light of these current um, problems? Well, a couple of things, you know, and we, we talk about it at length in, in Leading with Gratitude. Uh, by the way, we've got a great website, leadingwithgratitudebook.com. You can download the first chapter, you can download the, the forward and uh, lots of fun videos and, and podcasts in there as well. So avail yourself of, of those resources. We talk about the fact that it's really important to be remembered, right? And now you're working from home, you're homeschooling your kids or whatever that might look like. You've got an aged parent or maybe you've got you know, some mitigating um, health circumstances and so on. Uh, in, in this kind of a, an environment, two things need to accelerate for you to develop a culture of trust and what we call a culture of gratitude. And that is communication needs to skyrocket. You know, you need to be in touch with your people literally every day in the, in the initial stages, and then you can start to, to, to phase it in a different, uh, a different cadence after that. The reason being is that when there's a communication void, the void gets filled, right? And the void gets filled with rumor, innuendo, and fear. And none of those are productive, right? And secondly, gratitude needs to go up because when there is a, a, a lack of gratitude, again, people interpret it as, I'm not important, I don't matter, I've been forgotten. So we talk to leaders about being very intentional and being very disciplined intentional about making it a priority to reach out to your people. And it could be just a simple phone call. How are you doing today? You know, because things change so rapidly, right? How can I help? And to listen, right? And then be disciplined about it in that I'm going to reach out to everybody in my team once a week. Now, I understand if you get 20 people on your team, it may take you a week and a half or two weeks. The point is, is that those regular touches that, hey, I can see you out there. I want your opinion. I'm worried about you. What can I do to help? Just goes a long way to break down the uh, the barriers of isolation and uh, lack yeah. of community. You know, and I think those those two words to me really resonate: be intentional and be disciplined. Yeah, I, I love that, and I feel like you know, in in light of this Zoom burnout, where we're on hundreds of Zoom meetings, it feels a day it, to have another one for a one-on-one -on -one or to check in on some of these things, especially when there's a, a pandemic, it kind of feels like, hey, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you're struggling. We're all struggling. We've got deliverables here. Let's just push past it and keep going. And I just feel like that is a, 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 the road to a terrible culture. Um, so well, I, I, I love, You know, Ken, Ken Chenault, we, we got to talk to Ken Chenault, who, you know, just retired from the um, American Express Company. I think he was the CEO there for 15 years. And he talks about very specifically in hard times, he says, don't be a gratitude Grinch. <laughs> you know, don't <laughs> hold back. You're only shooting yourself on, in the foot. That's when you need to accelerate your care of your people. And it is not a soft skill and a nice to have. It's a hard skill and a must have. Mm -hmm. You know, you can hold people 
ridiculously accountable as Alan Mulally did with the Ford Motor Company, as you know, Gary Ridge does at WD-40. You can be very demanding and also be filled with gratitude, you know, celebrating small wins along the way, letting people know that their hard work is appreciated. So to your point earlier, you know, people think, oh, it's kind of this nice to have kind of fluffy thing. We've got hard things. Let's check the boxes. Couldn't be further from the truth. And by the way, it doesn't take a lot of time. You know, it's, it's a two minute conversation here. It's a five minute conversation there. Uh, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't shortchange yourself or your people of getting them emotionally engaged and nothing does it uh, better than gratitude. Oh, I love that. Gratitude. So, so important. Gratitude and recognition. So let's talk a little bit about uh, this, this boom of um, culture data or people analytics. You're starting to see a lot of organizations coming out with um, how to track employee engagement. And I can see, you know, HR professionals licking their lips a little bit, trying to get their hands on some of this stuff uh, because it, it feels like it might feel like there's not enough time in the day or that this is not leading to anything truly productive to check in with your people. How are you doing? Um, hold those conversations. But now we have um, technology that we can leverage to help us facilitate that relationship. I'm curious what your thoughts are on, you know, these employee engagement platforms and how successful they are. Yeah, look, I, th I think data and analytics are always helpful. It just depends what do you do with it? You know, I love to say, well, the chart here, the chart there, and the numbers. And I said, well, that's great. So knowing what you know now, what are you going to do about it? Because there are a lot of things in relationships, as you well know, that just can't be, you know, digitized and, and analyzed. For example, how do, you, how, do you, how do you log in? I spent, you know, 20 minutes with Josh talking about how to set up a home studio and how to find good uh, daycare for his, his three kids in the middle of a COVID epidemic you know uh, how do you how do you uh, digitize a handwritten thank you note how do you digitize that i i sent some flowers to a to an employee who lost their parent to the virus so yeah i i'm all for it i really am i'm not disparaging it one bit get that data if it doesn't lead you to a more human engagement if it doesn't lead you to more actionable you know, interactions on a, on a very personal and emotional basis, then, then it's just an interesting data point, you know, like, you know, um, who won the World Series in 1969, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, you it's, know, it's, the answer, it's the New York Mets. Yeah. Uh, there I you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So, you know, that's, that's the, that's the danger and the benefit, right? The danger is, here's the data and it's all automated and our AI tells us this. The benefit is, here's all the data, AI tells us this, and here's what we're gonna do with it. And here's how we're gonna coach up our leaders and here's how we're gonna share it with our employees. And we're gonna make sure that everybody knows what the data is, that their voices are heard. And these are the vehicles we're gonna give everybody to make sure that they're not left out, that their ideas are there, that it's safe for them to, to innovate. It's safe to make mistakes, it's safe to, to step up and, and on and on and on. And, and that's what the truly great companies do. Yes, they all have these platforms and they're all valuable. It's the actionable items afterwards that, that make it magical. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the point that you, you mentioned earlier is like, we don't work with companies who don't want to improve their culture because nothing will change. And it feels like, right. you know, an easy way out is, hey, look, there's a 
experience management platform. Let's go get it. And uh, they expect that to solve their culture issues. And that is not a solution. It's, it's like my fr good friend Jason Averbuck would say, like, you need to come up with the initiatives and understand your goals and, and processes moving forward before you bring on the technology because the technology does nothing but support your own initiatives. Um, and, and you're absolutely right on that. I'm, I'm curious to see um, what that looks like moving forward, you know, as we start to collect more data from different resources um, around employee engagement, productivity, even preference and personality. It'd be interesting to see how these uh, data points come together to help leaders make better decisions. Uh, you know, you mentioned leadership and culture. That is, that is it, right? Those are, those are the big ones. And so how do, we, how do we get more data into the hands of these leaders so they can make better decisions, hopefully for oh. their people? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd recommend is go buy our book. <laughs> you know, it's it's a great roadmap, and it gives you a, the great data, great case studies, and the tools. You know, we, we say, look, it's the roadmap to a culture of of gratitude, and it really does. The first part of the book, we 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 knock down all the myths as to why you know the excuses leaders give for not leading with gratitude. You know, that it's it's all about compensation. You know. People need too much recognition and we, we're not going to coddle our employees, right? Or, or I just don't have time, you know, we're, we're in the middle of a crisis and on and on. And we, we debunk all of those. And then look, it's the eight best practices for developing extraordinary business results. Are you seeing what's going on? Are you assuming positive intent in your people? Are you walking in their shoes? Are you tailoring the recognition to, to the individual so that it's meaningful? So you're not sending, you know, a honey-baked ham to a devout Jewish family, you know, silly things like that. Well, everybody got a ham. I say, well, yeah, but, you know, they're Jewish. So, you know, think about it for a second. Yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then making it peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, empowering everybody in the organization. And then lastly, you know, Josh, what, what I love about how we wrapped up the book is every leader we talked to took it home. You know, they didn't leave their best selves at work. They took their best selves home. So it wasn't just how they led at work, it's how they led in life. And I love to say, look, leading with gratitude is an extraordinary way to lead your organization. It's also just a better way to live. You know, coming home and being glad to see your family and kids, and engaging them and helping them, you know, serve and embrace hard times and, 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 and go out and do things in the community and do it together. You know, and talk about who you're grateful for in your family and in your day and in your life. I mean, those are powerful lessons that we should continue to learn as adults and certainly should be passing on to our children. Mm, so, so powerful. As I'm hearing you weave that narrative, I'm just coming in and out of work, in and out of home. This, this work-life balance is so interconnected if we're going to be successful um, in any element of our life and just so grateful for your insights with us today. I am excited to um, dive into the book a little bit more and, and really understand some of those things. But, you know, as we start to wrap things up here, um, give us a, a gem here. Give us, you know, either it's something that you know to be true deep inside of you or something you've been learning lately that the world needs to hear about. We just love to hear one last uh, gem from, from Chester Elton here. Sure. You know, it's really interesting. My, my father had just a huge impact on me in my life and he was just the happiest guy you'd ever meet. And I think particularly, you know, when the world is upside down the way it is, 
uh, we need to be a lot more patient and kind with each other. And, you know, my, my father would say, you know, you have to choose to be offended. And, and I always thought that was interesting. And then my brother Byron told me this story uh, in, in our faith, and we have very much a family of faith. In our church, it's all volunteer. You know, we don't have a paid ministry. And so, you know, people are Sunday school teachers and then ministers and so on. Well, at the time, my dad was sort of the youth minister in our congregation, you know, a volunteer. And as every congregation has, there's this, you know, curmudgeonly old lady and or old man. Everybody, everybody's got one, right? That's miserable and wants you to join them in, in their misery, right? So at the end of church one day, this old uh, lady, old curmudgeonly lady comes up to my father and says, you know, Brother Elton, you think all the young men in our congregation just love you. Well, I'm here to tell you, they don't. Just as mean as mean, right? Mm. And my dad looks at her with a big smile and says, well, thank you very much. And she says, it wasn't a compliment. And he said, too late. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you gosh. know, um, you know I, 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 love, I love as we go through and we develop as people and we have a lot of social issues we're dealing with and we've got the virus and employment and all that. I'm really hoping that, you know, we, we take time to know each other's stories. You know, I look at all the social unrest and I say, you know what, uh, call up some of your black friends and just ask them how they're doing and get to know their stories. When, when you know people and you know their stories, it's very hard to be bigoted and hateful. Mm. You know, choose to be more grateful, choose to be more kind. And you know what, choose to be more patient. And as my father would say, you know, just, just, Anything anybody says to you, take it as a compliment. <laughs> and, mm. and it, it creates a happier life. So, you know, th that's my wish, that as we lead more with gratitude, that those will be some of the outcomes. You know, more, more gracious, more grateful, more kind, and more patient. And I think, I think we can do that. We're all going to be better off. Wow, an absolutely powerful message that the world as a whole needs to hear right now. Thank you so much for sharing. Listeners, if you are interested in learning more, he has dropped some great websites here for us, leadingwithgratitudebook.com. Uh, you can sample the book there. You can see a little bit more about the work that um, Chester has been doing at thecultureworks.com. Check him out on LinkedIn. Leave five-star reviews, whatever you can. Um, <laughs> send money. We would love to continue to uh, uh, keep the lights on and, and just see the great work that you're doing out there. I, I feel like this is just... A moment in time for us to listen to someone like you who is just bringing nothing but hope and nothing but encouragement for the future. So thanks again so much for joining us on the show today. You bet. Thanks for the invite, Josh. Uh, I'm grateful for our friendship.